and welcome to another episode of Heavy Metal 101. Heavy Metal 101 is an exploration of everyone's favorite loud, unruly, and dark subgenre of rock and roll, in which we explore the history and repertoire of this fascinating body of work. John! We've made it to episode two! I know! They said it wouldn't last. They did. Did you think it would last? No, I did not. Yeah, I didn't think it would last either. I mean, I'm very impressed with us. Here we are. America and the world needs us, I think. Look at us. Yeah, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> so, let me just remind you that I am Eric, and I am our supposed expert. I am the PhD student in the field of music education. I am a composer. I am a pianist. But... I'm also someone who, for well over 30 years, has been listening in the trenches to all sorts of crazy heavy metal music, from my youthful dalliances in Def Leppard and Bon Jovi to my adult explorations of bands like Death and Burzum and all kinds of stuff that you would not want your children listening to, John, I don't, I don't think. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm also a university professor, so I'm quite versed in the teaching of music, music history, music theory, but really of the classical persuasion, where I've spent most of my adult career. But here we are in our metaphorical Metal 101 classroom, and I am joined by my good friend, John. John, you want to introduce yourself? I'm John. I am also a musician. I'm a conductor, also currently a doctoral student, though since you called yourself a PhD person, I'll point out that I'm just getting a DMA because I hate writing. Uh, and that's uh, embarrassing, I think. You should be embarrassed by that. You know, no one reads anymore, so why bother writing? That's a fair point. Yeah, so uh, I'm getting a DMA in orchestral conducting. Uh, I have been a sort of Western classical musician for much of my life, and I have been listening to heavy metal music for roughly, I think, all told, about four hours. <laughs> uh, you think that's your that's your the totality I of think your that's, time? I think between the listening I did for last week's episode uh -huh. and the listening I did for this week's episode, I'm probably somewhere between three and four hours. Now the good news here is that leads me to believe you listened to the albums more than once. Uh, I did. Now that's nice. Yeah. That says something about something. You're such a good student. You know, I, I want to bring everything that I can possibly bring to this course while doing as little as humanly possible. Uh, it sounds like you in a nutshell. There I am. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. All right. So, on our first episode, what John and I did was discuss what I would call the Big Bang of the heavy metal cosmos, and that was the February 13th, 1970 release of what? Black Sabbath. Sabbath. By Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. specifically the song... Black Sabbath. Right, right. It's a great name, horror movies, spooky stuff, and we loved it. And John said it was probably the best thing he ever heard, right? Am I remembering that correctly? Mm, we're going to have to run it back, but I think that's not right. Oh, oh, okay. Well, we'll check We'll check the tape on that one. I think we settled on, it's fine. Oh, yes. Yes, that does sound, that does sound achingly familiar. Well, today... We're going to talk about some Judas Priest, but before we talk about some Judas Priest, we're going to ask a question, a foundational question, which is what the hell is heavy metal? And you've heard of it, you've probably listened to it, or else you might not be listening to this podcast, or maybe you're just curious about the darker side of music, but what, what is it? John, you have spent uh, four hours exploring heavy metal, <laughs> so I feel like you're probably the person to ask, what, what is heavy metal? So heavy metal is a genre of Ooh. music. Mm -hmm that apparently 
was started on February 13th in 1970. That's more than most people know. According to our last episode. Right, and I'm an expert, as we well know, so yep. it must be true. Yeah, so, uh, but, you know, I really don't know. In preparing for this week's episode, that is the question that I asked her. I was like, I feel like if I was a student in this class and it were a real situation, I would want to know what the heck is heavy metal. Like, what are the characteristics that define this genre? Because at present, I have no idea. I'm so glad you asked. Here Look at that. That's what we're here for, is to figure this out. All right, so we're in the year 2021, and from our perspective now, it's most certainly it's a genre. It's a noun. Heavy metal's a thing, and we'll talk about what that means. It is worth noting that, it, it, you know, this is a term that really emerged as an adjective. This was a descriptive term for music, really in the 1960s, that our good friends, we met Lester Bangs. Do you remember Lester Bangs from last week? I sure do. Well, one of the candidates, and there are a few candidates, there's a little uncertainty about this. A Rolling Stones critic Michael Saunders is another one of these candidates. But these critics who use the term heavy metal as a descriptive, usually a pejorative descriptive, for music that was harder rock shall we say. It was particularly visceral, violent, hard rock. And we'll talk about more about that in a few minutes. Let's just talk really quickly about heavy metal as a term. The anecdotes you always get if you explore this anywhere in the literature or online is that the first use of the term heavy metal in music comes from the Steppenwolf hit of 1968, the motorcycle song par excellence, Born to be Wild, in which there was what kind of thunder? Heavy metal thunder. There was heavy metal thunder, yes. And it, that, that, that lyric certainly occurred, and it is certainly an early usage of the term. Now, it's a motorcycle song, so I think it's probably fair that, to say that the poetic license here is the heavy metal that is a big old Harley Davidson motorcycle, right? But it is an impo- it's a hard rock tune. It was a big hit for the band Steppenwolf, and it's certainly, as of in 1968, one of the earliest musical usages. Is it the earliest? Is it the origin? Probably not. The earlier origin that is oft-cited is from the author William Burroughs. Are you familiar with Mr. William Burroughs? Yeah. You know that Naked Lunch thing? Yeah. Yeah, Naked Lunch, book that I read when I was, you know, a psychedelic uh, teenager and whatnot. A fabulous book, actually. William Burroughs was a beat author in the 1950s and 60s particularly, and he wrote a, a short story called The Soft Machine, in which there was a character called the Heavy Metal Kid as far back as 1961. So... You know, these are both obvious, important things. You hear about them anytime you research the etymology of heavy metal, and they're worth noting. But, okay, it is worth noting that heavy metals are a scientific term, and the whole notion does considerably, by 100-odd years or so, predate the idea of Burroughs or Steppenwolf. But the application in music really definitively to talk about this genre is from the, the late 60s and the early 1970s, and particularly these Rolling Stone critics, Michael Saunders and Lester Bangs. Let me read you a, a Michael Saunders quote. Now, he was, he was talking about the band Humble Pie. Humble Pie are nobody's idea of a heavy metal band in the 21st century. However, Michael Saunders described them as follows. A noisy, unmelodic, heavy metal-leaden shit rock band with the loud and noisy parts beyond doubt. That's nice, right? That's, that's just very generous. Yes, it's a beautiful phrase. Now, I'm no Humble Pie fan, but but these Rolling Stone critics, were, they were very mean. Lester Bangs, who totally trashed Black Sabbath's uh, album, and here we have Michael Saunders trashing Humble Pie's uh, sophomore album, their second album. 
the point here is that we have heavy metal not as a noun, but as an adjective. I don't know what heavy metal, leaden, shit rock really means. These are just words that these verbose... Again, uh, it sounds like they're just throwing darts at a board yeah. of like negative adjectives. Yeah, what sort of thing that sounds bad can we say about this music? And it doesn't. It's really hard to excise any actual meaning from it. However... After Black Sabbath established the musical ideas uh, that would underpin heavy metal, the idea of a heavy distortion, the idea of slow tempos, the idea of that dark sort of macabre subject matter, the prominence of the power chord and the riff, two of the most important musical underpinnings of the genre. That's when heavy metal ceases to be an adjective and starts slowly but surely over the course of the 70s to really become a noun and to become a genre. So to be clear, heavy metal as we understand it is a genre. And a genre, according to the nice people at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a category of artistic, musical, or literary composition characterized by a particular style, form, or content. So the question we have to answer then is, what is the style, what is the form, and what is the content? Now, all of these things are somewhat variable from one heavy metal artist to the next. But, John, you, you've listened now to two of the forebearers of heavy metal, Black Sabbath, sort of the founding band, and Judas Priest, really the first band that was a proud, loud, heavy metal band. They knew that they were a heavy metal band, and so they were very self-conscious in a way I don't think Black Sabbath was. Is there anything in common between Black Sabbath's self-titled debut and Judas Priest's Sad Wings of Destiny that you could point out? Well, I mean, the, the fundamental ensemble seems to be roughly the same in terms of being a group made up of like electric guitar, electric bass, drums, and, and vocals. Good. Now, I will point out two things that we get that Judas Priest establishes as paradigms that become later heavy metal paradigms, sort of 1980s and beyond paradigms. Number one, two guitars. So Black Sabbath just had Tony Iommi. With Judas Priest, we get Glenn Tipton and K.K. Downing. So the two guitar sound is not every heavy metal band, but certainly becomes a really quintessential heavy metal idea later embodied in Iron Maiden and a number of other bands like that. And number two... I love Ozzy Osbourne. I actually love Ozzy Osbourne's voice. I think a lot of people do. But with Rob Halford of Judas Priest, you get virtuosic tenor singing. You get the scream. You get this incredible register and range that really is something that personifies the sort of power of the heavy metal voice. And so that, that though they're the same ensemble, they are used in somewhat different ways. So we have we have the rock band that now both of them do something very specific with the guitar sound that is uh, very much a heavy metal staple. What's that? It's harsher. Mm-hmm. The reason it's harsher is because of distortion. Yeah, so we augment the timbre, the quality of the sound of the guitar, is what used to be done only through basically broken amplifiers that were turned up too loud and the speakers were blown back in the the 60s. By the 70s, we really have a sense, as developed by people like Jimi Hendrix and bands like Jimmy Page and Led Zeppelin, distortion. And heavily distorted, can we get that adjective heavy, heavily distorted guitars are really, really intrinsic to heavy metal. They're probably the most important sort of aesthetic character that links pretty much all heavy metal music. So 
we have distorted guitars. Now, this is all part of hard rock. We got we you know if we go through the history of rock music, you know by the by the '60s we get what sometimes proto heavy metal, but also hard rock. And there's going to be hard rock in the '70s, hard rock in the '80s. Heavy metal. If hard rock is the PG-13 of rock music, heavy metal is its R-rated branch. It's just a more extreme version. You're taking you know you got rock, you have hard rock, and heavy metal is essentially a harder rock. It's taking all those all the characteristics that we would call hard rock, the volume, the heaviness, the themes, and just making them more adult, which oddly enough tends to attract, you know, teenagers and children and stuff. But so heavy metal is our hardest rock, as it were. And of course within heavy metal there's lots of genres and we'll eventually get subgenres, you might say. We'll eventually get to those, but not today. So we know it's a genre. We know that content-wise it's got distorted guitars. We've talked about the rock bands. I mentioned the, the power of the tenor voice, the two guitars, the two dueling guitars. Anything else you noticed about the music of Black Sabbath and Judas Priest? Commonalities? So they both have songs that have sort of darker text mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, stories that are maybe not typical to your earlier rock songs and subjects. Yeah, you know, and these things do exist. I mean, you think about the blues, the history of the Delta blues, and someone like Robert Johnson singing, you know, Hellhounds and selling their soul at the crossroads and all that. So there's a direct legacy from the American blues to heavy metal of this dark sort of macabre music, but it ten, metal tends to amplify that aspect. There are exceptions, of course, and there are subgenres of heavy metal that are going to be more or less sinister, but it's definitely intrinsic to the heart of the genre. If you look at the album covers, right, the Black Sabbath album cover we talked about in the last uh, episode, which was dark and red, right. and there was yeah. a spooky figure and all that stuff. The cover of the Judas Priest album, do we, do you, did you happen to take a look at that? Uh, you know, again, I looked at that uh, beautiful little one-inch right. thing that popped up on Spotify. No. So this cover has a fallen angel in hell with all sorts of fire in the background and just like really, it's heavy metal. It's heavy metal, the embodiment thereof. It's definitely dark, much more clearly dark than the Black Sabbath album. This is something, you know, again, when we're talking about the content. Ah, yeah, here it is. So John just brought it up on his phone. So we have an angel figure. The angel looks very upset. John, describe the background. Uh, lots of fire, lots of flames. We appear to be in a cave. There's a skull. Oof. There's a skull. Uh -huh. And more red, right? We got red, red and black. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, heavy metal content is that. Uh, and, you know, in terms of the two musical aspects that I wanted to really focus on today, we have the riff and we have the power chord. So let's start with the power chord. John, you're a classical music guy. Do classical music people know what a power chord is? Like, is that a term you're familiar with? Personally, I am familiar with okay. that term. It is not something that I was taught mm. as a classical musician. This is not one of our standard tonic, subdominant, <laughs> right. dominant, and diminished I'm, second chords. You know, and technically, by classical theory, a power chord is not actually a chord. That's right. It's an interval. It's a chord by stuffy definition is what? What do you need to have a chord? You need three notes. Three notes. But any three notes, we have a chord. A power chord is two notes. Two notes. What is the interval that makes up a power chord? It's a fifth. A fifth. So we have this note. It's a D for those of you out there who care. And then an A 
five notes away. If I put those together, I get this really strong, really stable sound. And it's this harmonic thing, the, the, the interval of a fifth, that makes up, I don't know what percentage of heavy metal, I'd be, I'd be lying if I pretended to say, but let's say heavy metal is, is built on the power chord as its harmonic basis, the interval of a fifth, sometimes with an octave added to it. So you get one extra note, but again, still technically, it's just a D and an A, uh, any way you slice it in that particular case. So the power chord is our basis, and what we do with the power chord is we create riffs. And heavy metal, more so than any other genre of rock, though heavy metal didn't invent this, this is really a 1950s sort of electric blues idea, the riff is a recurring rhythmic and pitched pattern. There's rhythm and there's pitch, and it kind of occurs over and over again. In classical music, we have a term for that. Do you know what the term for a little, a little small musical idea with rhythm and pitch that tends to happen over and over again? Talking about like an ostinato? An ostinato. Yeah, a riff and an ostinato are the exact same thing. There's literally no difference. It's just that riff sounds cooler. Okay, so here's a riff. So that's an example of a riff. And if that, that song, do you know what that song is? Oh, that's Iron Man. That's Iron Man. It's a Black Sabbath song from their second album, 1970's Paranoid, which is just an incredible album and, and, and well worth discussing in some future episode. That recurs over and over again. Kind of like uh, when we talked about last uh, episode. The riff that underpinned the song Black Sabbath recurring musical material and other stuff around it changes to sustain interest. So that is what a riff is. And you know, your average song is going to be comprised of multiple riffs, but this this recurring riff is going to be the underpinning as opposed to the lick, which is the little melodic filigree that's going to add, you know, might happen on top of the riff. Okay, so when, as we just heard, we take our power chord, we build it into a riff, and suddenly we have a heavy metal classic like Iron, uh, Iron Man by, by Black Sabbath. So let's change our focus a little bit here and switch to talking about Judas Priest and specifically one of my most favorite songs in the world, The Ripper. All right, let's stop us babbling and give you guys a chance, a short chance, two minutes and 50 seconds of Judas Priest glory. John, you want to cue that up? Go. Hello there. If you are hearing this, then you are listening to a version of this podcast for which we do not have the rights to play this wonderful piece of music, Ripper by Judas Priest. Bummer! However, if you take a look at the episode notes, you will find a link to an audio recording. Just click on it and go and check it out. Great! Now I suggest that you pause the episode and take a listen prior to continuing on in order to afford you appropriate context for the following discussion. Or don't. The choice is yours. And now back to our regularly scheduled podcast. I freaking love that song. What do you What do you think about the Ripper? What's your reaction to this, Diddy? So, I mean, I, I liked this one. I knew I when you told me to go listen to this album, I forgot which song 
you were going to highlight for us to, to, to talk about generally mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. I was just listening to the album. Mm-hmm. And I knew this was going to be the one that you would go to because you like those kind of darker mm-hmm. subject matters mm-hmm. in terms of the, the text. And this is clearly a very dark subject matter. I fear text. ambiguity. We want to avoid ambiguity. And if we were to play a song like Epitaph, mm-hmm. which you might recall from that album, I don't think we'd be making a very clear point about heavy metal. I think that's fair. Yeah. But no, I thought this was good. I thought the singing was was really great actually mm-hmm. very impressive singing i mean obviously the instrumental playing is uh really good very mm-hmm. strong just a, you know very intense and energetic song yeah overall. yeah i mean it's it, it, it is it's a ripper ah so to be clear i alluded to this earlier but what what we just heard was from the sophomore album by the great judas priest Judas Priest is another absolute stalwart classic heavy metal band a la Black Sabbath. And there's a lot of parallels between Judas Priest and Black Sabbath. They both emerged from Birmingham, England. They both actually, Black Sabbath technically formed as Earth in 1968. Judas Priest formed as Judas Priest and Black Sabbath was rechristened Black Sabbath in 1969. So even though we think of Black Sabbath as first, and certainly they were from an album standpoint and an influential standpoint, these bands basically are contemporaries of each <laughs> other. Judas Priest's first album, which we're not going to talk about at all, was Rockarola. Rock, yeah, Rockarola. That's a good name. Yeah, um, I love Judas Priest quite passionately. Rockarola is a fine album. It's okay. It's you should you should listen to it at some point. All it's right. not great. It is not a great album for a variety of reasons. And one of those reasons is because they t- they had a lot of songs that would eventually show up on this second album, Sad Wings of Destiny, from 1976, that would show up on this album that were already written, but for whatever reason, they didn't include any of them. The Ripper is one of those songs. Victim of Changes, which is one of the real classic Judas Priest songs. Talk about a hell of a vocal performance. First song on this album was also already existed when they recorded Rockarola. So I don't know. Basically, they saved everything good for their second album. I don't know why but they Also, did even that. just that shift, like, uh, having heard nothing on Rockarola, your first album is Rockarola, and your second album is Sad Wings of Destiny. These feel like, the, if you just gave me those album titles, I would not say that they were the same band. And, and con- continuing that theme further, if I put the album covers in front of you, we just talked about Sad Wings of Destiny, which has an angel probably in hell, you know, in skulls and fire and all yep, that. Yep. The cover, the Rockarola, is a Coca-Cola-style bottle cap that uh-huh. says Rockarola instead oh, of Coca-Cola. It's very yes, oh, it's clever. It's very good. witty. But you can see, you can tell we're dealing with a very different sort of thing. So Rockarola is as oft overlooked as Judas Priest's debut, and there's probably a Pretty good reason for that. Sad Wings of Destiny is certainly their first masterpiece and their first album where they really sound like what we think of as Judas Priest and this real heavy metal image. John mentioned the, the vocals. Rob Halford really, if any, you know, Rob Halford is often referred to as the metal god, partly because Judas Priest had a song called Metal Gods, partly because there is almost no single person that more embodies the aesthetic of heavy metal from the famous leather outfits with studs and whip, to the riding on stage on a Harley Davidson, to the incredible vocal range, particularly those, those shrill, powerful screams. You know, he is the living embodiment of the heavy metal ethos. And this song is an absolute tour de force. I mean, even John, who has terrible taste in music, was able to, to recognize uh, Rob Halford, who apparently, I recently saw that Luciano Pavarotti had good things to say about Rob Halford's vocals as well. His singing, through, 
The number one thing that stood out to me in listening to this album was one, there was some track in there that had a Picardy third and that made me giggle. And uh, <laughs> number, uh, number two, his singing is phenomenal. Like his yeah. range, his technique, everything. It was just mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Rob Halford is just truly extraordinary. And he is beating heart of Judas Priest. And, and part of the reason Judas Priest just were an absolute disaster in the 90s, in the 1990s, because Rob Halford left after, I think, their, their very greatest album, 1990s, Painkiller. Rob Halford left. They actually got, as a singer, a Judas Priest cover band singer, Tim Ripper Owens, to be the, the replacement singer for Rob Halford. They released two albums. I will not editorialize on them. Suffice it to say that Judas Priest without Rob Halford is problematic. We'll just say that. But Rob Halford is back with the band, um, has been for, for quite a while now, and yes, he is certainly the cornerstone. What did you think of the guitar playing? I think that, it, it, although not, not in 70s era Judas Priest, I don't think it's what I would call virtuosic. It's certainly distinctive. Yeah, I mean, again, because I'm doing no research and preparing for this, I'm surprised to learn right now that Judas Priest and Black Sabbath are essentially... Oh my God, what's the word? Contemporaries? Yes, that is exactly the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're essentially contemporaries because just everything in Judas Priest seems to be happening at a higher, more technically advanced yeah. level. Yeah, and, and I yes, I do think it is clear that Judas Priest are taking from Black Sabbath. You know, it's worth noting also that the two other bands that Judas Priest are, maybe three bands that Judas Priest are clearly influenced by, Deep Purple. Okay. Now, Deep Purple, I am passionate about the belief that Deep Purple are a hard rock band rather than a heavy metal band. I just, I, I, I love the album Machine Head. Uh, I like the album In Rock. These are considered formative, maybe heavy metal albums by some people. I think they're just really good hard rock albums. But the thing that Deep Purple do that Black Sabbath didn't do is they were unbelievable players. They're virtue, they're first-rate virtuosos. And so a lot of that is feeding into what Judas Priest do. A lot of Led Zeppelin. Now, Led Zeppelin, I think, less of that virtuosity, but we certainly get some some Led Zeppelin, you know, the vocals especially. Sure. And then the other band that I think is a little bit left of center, Queen. Oh. Queen's Night at the Opera album, you know, with uh, Bohemian Rhapsody and all that jazz, came out in 1975. Okay. So I think a lot of what's going on here that's not heavy metal is in, and even some of the things that are heavy metal, like the harmonized vocals. Yeah, I can see that. And this sort of the, you know, one of the things that's great about this song is it's very narrative, and you get that middle section, that sort of breakdown, where you get lots of ambient guitar sounds and these sort of ooey harmonized vocals and stuff. Very much that sort of Queen production, that sort of uh, overproduction, you know, effective overproduction, if you will. What I would say, what I would note about the twin guitar sounds, you know, at the begin, the very opening of this song, you get a couple of things that to me embody Judas Priest and again embody heavy metal. You get that opening harmonized guitar section. And and the reason I sing it like that is because it's polytonal. It's actually, you have Tipton playing in A minor while you simultaneously have Downing playing in C minor. C minor at the same time. Tonality of Judas Priest. Now you can, you're not going to get much polytonality with one guitarist. So we have two keys at the same time, courtesy of two guitarists. So that there, right there, you're getting twin guitar and how important that is. And then of course you get, you know, you get the. Did you like my Rob Halford scream? I did not see that coming. I know. I John John jumped because it was so scary. You get that that huge shriek at the beginning. You know the da 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 da. 
and it's it's so heavy metal, right? It's I, I, wrote, I wrote in my notes, it's heavy effing metal is what it is. And that, you know, this is the evolution, right? This is heavy metal coming from, you know, slow but powerful. The heaviness of Black Sabbath gets sped up considerably. The playing gets, you know, the musicians in Black Sabbath are amazing, but the playing just gets faster. It gets more virtuosic. The singing is exponentially more virtuosic. And really we have, we, what, what Judas Priest does is they establish the template that is going to become the Nawabum movement. Have you ever heard this term, Nawabum? I sure haven't. The new wave of British heavy metal that's going to really define the early 80s, along with Van Halen in America in the late 70s, bands like Iron Maiden, you know, you, who you've certainly heard of, that are, and Def Leppard, who you've certainly heard of. These are, these are Nawabum bands. That is really established on Judas Priest's Sad Wings of Destiny. Couple of other things about this song, you know, you'd mentioned that I like the dark themes. This to me, uh, can I? Can I, I'm going to put on my classical dork hat for a second. Okay. This is like the heavy metal equivalent of Erlkenig by Franz Schubert. You know yeah. that? Yeah, that 1815 ditty. Um, that's a song. <laughs> 1815. 1815. We get we get a we get a narrator. We, uh, this is a song for, for a baritone and piano, but we get a narrator, but at the same time, we also get the same singer performing different roles. Mm-hmm. Now, in this song, we have you know Rob Halford acting as the narrator, sort of simultaneously being what a real-life uh, serial killer do you think this is based on? Do you happen to know? The oh, year was could, 1888. Could, could it be... Jack the Ripper. It was Jack the Ripper. The whole time. Oh my God. Big reveal. Sorry, spoiler alert. Jack the Ripper. Or if you prefer, Jack the Knife. Which I, it might be an allusion to Mac the Knife. Is that, a, is that a thing? So I was actually wondering. I was wondering that too. I, I, was, I was re-listening to the song and I was like, so does this have anything to do yeah. with the jazz standard? Yeah, I think, you know, Rob Halford has had a pretty knowledge, pretty good knowledge of like uh, uh, standards and whatnot. He probably knew, knew Mac the Knife, which is from the Three Penny Opera by Kurt Vile, if anyone's interested in pursuing that little uh, 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 wormhole. Um, this song, John, give, give us the lyrics. Give me a dramatic recitation of these lyrics. You're in for a surprise. You're in for a shock. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Please continue. Uh, in London town streets where there's darkness and fog, when you least expect me and you turn your back, I'll attack. I smile when I'm sneaking through shadows by the wall. I laugh when I'm creeping, but you won't hear me at all. All hear my warning. Never turn your back on the ripper. Ooh, so good. So good. So uh, is it worth noting, this, this song was actually penned by Glenn Tipton, both the lyrics and, and the music. So we got a solo writing credit here. But of course, it's, it's a full band effort. And I'll, I'll go through the band members uh, before we quit for the day. We have this dark lyric. We have, I will not, you know, we have a great riff with this, this sort of distorted power chord with a little syncopated palm muting going on. Dick it. And of course, you know, the, the virtuosic, powerful vocals that we've talked about. Everything here bespeaks, you know, heavy metal. The codification of heavy metal is really happening in front of our very eyes through this song and this album. A little bit about Judas Priest before we go. I think I've already mentioned most of the members. We have Rob Halford, the singer extraordinaire, Glenn Tipton, and K.K. Downing. Now, this is, this is the songwriting core of Judas Priest. 
Halford is still in the band. Tipton is still in the band, but unfortunately he has uh, Parkinson's disease, so he does not play with the group very much. However, they just, as of this recording, just about a week ago, they did their first show post-COVID, and Tipton did join them for, I think, three songs at the end. That's great. Which is very cool, very cool. K.K. Downing, who now is no longer in the band, and they all hate each other, and K.K. Downing has an actual project called K.K.'s Priest. It's a Um, terrible name. Yes, and I believe, if I'm recalling this correctly, Tim Ripper Owens is the singer in that project. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I haven't listened to it yet. I may never listen to it. You don't want to explore that in a future episode? Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll do a KK's Priest episode, but I, I, I don't see that happening. <laughs> Other important, really the earliest member that's still in Priest, because uh, the original Judas Priest was, was entirely different people when, when they first formed, um, and the name has been kept over the years, but the bassist Ian Hill, who is a uh, the, you know, solid, rock-solid underpinning of the band to this day. And then on this particular album, now I'm pretty sure that the movie Spinal Tap, you know, they have, don't they have a bit about drummers? Yep. Yeah, the band goes through drummers like nobody's business. Uh, I'm pretty sure that comes from Judas Priest, actually. I might be wrong. But Judas Priest, I think, have had eight drummers to date. Alan Moore is the drummer on this album. This is the only Judas Priest album on which we find Alan Moore beating, be, beating the skins. So... This is Judas Priest. Got to be a better way to say drummer. Not not beating the skins. Yeah, you know, no, you don't I, like beating I, I the skins. Don't love that. That's not what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyhow. <laughs> so, so this album. Now here here's the thing. We talked about Sabbath and the the the, the shocking influence that they had uh, from the, from the get go before they ever even toured America. They charted both in America and the UK. Judas Priest, on the other hand, even this was their second album. This was released on a label, really obscure label called Gull, G U L L. And because of that, they got very little press. They had a budget, I think, of two thousand dollars to record the entire album, and it got as high as number. four. 48 on the British charts. It never charted in in the U.S. It wasn't until, I believe, 1978 that uh, Judas Priest first made it to America. So no no touring in America on Sad Wings of Destiny tour, alas. And so this is an album that's really more respected and known by the Cognoscetti, but it's really something that became retrospectively more influential. That is what the heavy metal people in the know refer to themselves. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Cognoscetti, <laughs> I refer to myself as, as the Cognoscetti, yes. It's really an album that has an influence at the end of the 70s, and it, more as a direct influence on the Nuwabam bands that were so influential. Like a band like Iron Maiden, a band like Def Leppard, these are bands that had huge influence on the international heavy metal scene throughout the 1980s. This is this is laying the foundation for that, influencing those bands directly, who were English bands, obviously, a new wave of British heavy metal. So Black Sabbath invented heavy metal, but I think it's with Judas Priest, the band, and particularly Sad Wings of Destiny, the album, that heavy metal truly is codified into what we, we you know we think of as the genre. So there you have it. John, you have any final thoughts about uh, what heavy metal is or Judas Priest or, uh, you know, you're in dying love for me? I mean, I think we should maybe just one more time run over those key points that define and make something okay. heavy metal. So what makes something heavy metal? We have distortion. We have a guitar effect in a 
it's usually on the guitar. You can put it on anything technically. It's usually on the guitar that changes the instrument. It basically makes it a new instrument. And that's something very important to heavy metal. So we take a distorted guitar. We play power chords. Basically the big, meaty interval of the perfect fit. We take those power chords and we build them into repeating ideas called riffs. These repeating ideas are augmented with other musical material, most importantly, the synth, right? Other stuff. We got bassists, we got drummers, everyone's playing loud, right? And that's part of heavy metal. But the singer with a powerful voice, most often a powerful tenor voice, and the singer is singing a lyrical content that is usually in some way dark or, dare I say, antisocial. You know, usually that's that's what heavy metal is. It's people who are anti-social, going crazy, and enjoying themselves doing it. You take these elements together, and I think you have the codification of the genre heavy metal, or what I might call harder rock. Does that, does that make sense? Does to me. Good. All right, so if you want to reach us, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any thoughts, you can reach us with your thoughts at heavymetal101podcast at gmail.com. That is heavymetal101podcast at gmail.com and 101 are numbers. You can also find us and like us and follow us on Facebook, Heavy Metal 101 Podcast. Just search it out. All right, so we'll see you all next time all on right. Heavy Metal 101. Um, you want to give us a, a Rob Halford shriek? No. Perfect. Perfect.